Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. If you have been following along with us uh, in our last several programs, you'll know that we are in the book of John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 21, and that's where we'll pick up today, um, uh, picking up from where we left off in our last program. If you are joining us today for the first time or have just been a very short-term listener, I would highly encourage you to check out the website at this radio station, whcbradio.org, and once there, look for Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find an outline listing all the scriptures that we use in this particular series uh, on the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of the church. And when you uh, find that outline, you'll see that there are many, many scriptures and quite a few points that we make to uh, describe the differences between those two key events in the future of um, the church. So I would highly recommend that you do that. Uh, but if you, again, if you're joining us for the first time or, or following along with us, we are in John chapter 21. So it's the last book of the Gospels, which begin the New Testament. And we have been talking about uh, point number five on our outline, which deals with Jesus appearing only to believers when he comes for the church at the rapture. And we have been building uh, an historical base to support that point, uh, dealing with the 40 days that Jesus walked the earth at the end of his earthly ministry when he was resurrected on the third day and was glorified and took on his immortal, imperishable body. Now, we know from the Scripture that with the exception of all of the um, signs that he had been horribly tortured by the Roman soldiers prior to his crucifixion, uh, making him almost unrecognizable, those were all gone in his glorified body. And that gives us hope as well that if we have um, any type of um, thing wrong with us, that the rapture is going to solve that for us in terms of our body. So I'm certainly looking forward to it, that uh, there's even a suggestion that the ladies particularly like that uh, in his glorified body, Jesus appeared to be 30, 32, 33 years old, because of course that was the age when he died. But he had only the signs of his crucifixion, and he retained the signs of those crucifixion to prove that he was the risen Christ. And we covered that in uh, John chapter 20, where you had um, doubting Thomas, and that's where the term comes from, a doubting Thomas, when he had appeared to the 11 apostles the first time, and they were hiding behind closed doors following his resurrection, and they were basically afraid that the Roman soldiers were going to come after them just as they came for Jesus. So they were, uh, as it were, hiding behind locked doors, and Jesus walked through the wall into the room and showed himself to them. And the only thing about him that would um, show that it was him was, I would assume, his facial features, but it was the fact that he had the marks of crucifixion. 
And they initially thought he was a ghost, as the scripture tells us. So he said, touch me. And then he asked for something to eat. And you can't touch a ghost, and you and a ghost doesn't eat. So he proved himself. And then it says in the scripture that eight days after that, that he once again came back into the room that was locked and basically um, did the same thing. But he did it this time specifically for one of the 12, and that was the missing one, Thomas. And Thomas basically told them that I will not believe that the Christ has risen. Even though they had seen him, the other 11 and Mary and others had seen him, he did not believe that he was uh, actually risen from the grave as he had been telling them multiple times during the end, towards the end of his ministry here on the earth. So there they are in the room on the eighth day after his resurrection, and he walks into the room, and there's Thomas, and Thomas uh, basically says, um, is it you, Lord? And he says, put your finger in my palms of my hands to see the holes. And, uh, well, actually, it was the wrist. Uh, it's improper to, to the, the depictions of it being in the hand. It was actually the nails were in the wrist. And um, see the, the holes in my feet, and then put your hand in my side where the sword was that the Roman soldier had thrust in while he was on the cross. And with that, uh, he, he looked at him and says, do you now believe? And, and Thomas says, I believe. And the key phrase, uh, in fact, if you have your Bible open, and I pray that you do, uh, you've got it open to John 21. If you could go back to John 20, the prior chapter, and look at such a key verse that's so applicable for all of us today, and that's in John 20, verse 29. And it said, Jesus said to him, Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see me and yet believed. And that's so true for us today because we walk by faith. And of course, we know from the uh, scriptures, particularly in Corinthians, it says the Jews require miraculous uh, signs. And of course, this was a miraculous sign and Thomas was a Jew. <laughs> But he's basically saying, Jesus is saying to them and saying to us, blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. And of course, he's talking about faith, and faith is a belief in things unseen. And we also uh, read in uh, Hebrews 11 that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that's the blessing that we have, is the blessing of the exercise of our faith that Jesus Christ is indeed the risen Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that he is coming back for his church. And when he comes back for his church, he's going to bestow rewards, and those are the crowns that we have talked about before in this series, and we also have a separate series on the crowns, because that's a, that's a wonderful thing that we as the church can look forward to, and there are five crowns. So, Jesus has been showing himself to those who believe, and that's the point of going back and, and developing this history uh, before uh, the rapture to show that in his resurrected body, Jesus basically allowed himself to be seen by selected people. And it's not just individuals. We, we uh, covered last time on this program about um, 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about at one point there were over 500 believers that saw him at one time. 
But again, the key is that he allowed himself to be seen only by the believers. And then we, um, towards the end of our last program, we got into John 21. And let's go ahead and go there now. And let's uh, review this. This is where Jesus, after his resurrection, uh, very soon after his resurrection and his uh, revealing of, of, of himself to the um, eleven, told them to meet him, that they would all meet together up at the Sea of Galilee. And of course, the Galilee is where almost all of the apostles came from. I believe it was all but Judas were from around the Galilee region, and most of them were fishermen, of course, Matthew being a tax collector. So he was telling them to go up there and I'll meet you again. And of course, that's what they uh, they prepared to do. And it, I guess it's about a five it's about a five to six day walk from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee. And of course, they were based principally around the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. And that is a, it's a, it's not a lake, it's a sea because it's over, it's at least 20, maybe even close to 30 miles from north to south. It's a big body of water. And he admonished them, meet me up there. So let's pick up in John chapter 21. And uh, I'll begin at verse 1. It said, after these things, Jesus manifested, in other words, made himself visible again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. And of course, today there is a major coastal city on the southwest coast of the Galilee called Tiberias. But here it's called the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will come with you. They went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So there it is again. You've got people, as we've said in the last couple of programs here, you've got people, the disciples, the apostles, who have been with Jesus. They know him about as intimately as you could possibly know someone uh, in this particular ministry, yet they still were struggling. They were still struggling with this idea that their leader, that their Messiah, that their king had come to them and now had been crucified, and they were struggling particularly with this resurrection. Even though he told them over and over again that he would resurrect on the third day, they were still struggling with this whole concept that perhaps they had lost their leader. So they were, they were as I said uh, in the last program, they were crestfallen, just the first word that came to my mind. But they, uh, they are distraught, and even though they had seen Jesus in his glorified body before in Jerusalem, when they saw him again, they just weren't sure. They just weren't sure because they know that Jesus did not walk up with them. And you recall that uh, particularly with the example we had in Luke 24, where he had manifested himself to the two men on the road to uh, Emmaus, that after he had sat down to have a meal with them and broke the bread, their eyes were open to recognize who he was as the, the risen Savior. And then it says he immediately vanished from their eyes. So he is now in a, in a glorified, um, imperishable body that is not constrained by space or time. 
So he basically uh, moved from Jerusalem up to the Sea of Galilee uh, in the, the twinkling of an eye, if you will, just as we will at the rapture. And he was fixing breakfast for them. So the, the key to understand here is that in Israel, uh, in the uh, ancient past, the time of the disciples and so forth, it was very, very common to do all your fishing uh, late at night uh, because that was the coolest time of the day. And it was usually when the surface of the Sea of Galilee was at its calmest because the Sea of Galilee could get very, very rough. Uh, with the the winds coming off of the hill the hills um, to the east, so they they fished very late at night. Uh, usually fished fairly close to shore, within a hundred yards or so, not very far out, and that they would come in with their catch if they had any early in the morning. Would uh, move bring the catch in, would mend their nets and so forth, and then they would have uh, breakfast, usually a fish. So Jesus was prepared for this. And it says that in, in um, verse 4, But when day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Verse 5, So Jesus said to them, Children, do you not have any fish? Uh, do you? And they answered, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Verse 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, and of course that's John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on uh, and threw himself into the sea, looking to swim ashore. Verse 8, but the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were too many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus had made himself visible, had manifested himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So we're concluding our discussion here about the history of um Jesus being made visible, allowing himself to be viewed only by believers, because now we want to move in just a few moments here into the New Testament to talk about uh, the rapture itself. But I just wanted to conclude this discussion in uh, the book of John in chapter 21 here about how Jesus uh, over and over again was trying to show that only people who believed in him were able to see him, that this having spiritual eyes and spiritual ears to hear so that they could comprehend, that they could understand that having the Holy Spirit on them that was something extremely special and that Jesus was using this um, miracle, if you will, of his resurrection and his appearance to them to show them that this is what they have to look forward to. This is the 
eternity. This is the body that you're going to have like I have and that you're going to be with me forever as he had promised to them. So this was a very special uh, set of circumstances over those 40 days where he showed himself to them to make the point that they had a wonderful eternity ahead of them uh, in the same sort of body that he had. So let's um, take this opportunity now to go over to Philippians. Let's go over to Philippians and go to Philippians chapter 3. And you're in the New Testament already in John, and then you have Acts and Romans, and then you get into the First and Second Corinthians, then you get into um, Galatians, Ephesians, and then you get into Philippians. So in Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and we want to look at verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship, talking about the church, talking about the believers in Jesus Christ, the people who um, populate what is called the church that started at Pentecost back in Acts chapter 2, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's the key marker of the church, is that's the indwelling, and the only time that the Holy Spirit has indwelt was the point in time at Pentecost up through today and through the the, uh, rapture of the church. So that's the citizenship we're talking about here. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory for the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So what a a wonderful picture we have here of when we see him at the rapture, our body will be transformed just as he was telling them back in our uh, prior programs here in John and in Luke and so forth, that their body would then be like his body from a humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. And at that point, our citizenship moves from here on earth to heaven. We now want to answer a question from a listener. So we'll pick up this series in point number five uh, in Philippians here next time. We have a question from a listener in Gate City. And the question is, can we know the timing of the rapture of the church? Oh, that's a great question. That's uh, on everybody's mind. When uh, can we know the timing of the rapture? Well, predicting the day and the hour of the rapture of the church has done damage, frankly, uh, to the general image and uh, really the credibility of Christianity. There is so much debate out there about the rapture and its timing uh, to start with. So when overzealous Bible students predict or try to predict the exact day of the rapture, And that day after comes, the day after their predicted rapture date. Uh, Those that predict are frankly embarrassed, should be. And those searching for truth in Christianity uh, are led really to question the very truths of the Bible and those that profess that faith. So it's a very damaging thing to try and predict the rapture of the church. And we know several 
people that have done that over time, and it has done damage. So what do the scriptures actually teach about the timing of the rapture? The Bible clearly teaches that the day and the hour of the rapture cannot be known by man. Uh, it's an any-moment event that is not preceded by any biblical sign. But the Bible also teaches that we can know the times and the seasons in which our Lord and Savior will return uh, when he comes in the clouds for his church. So let's take a few moments and focus on the times and seasons preceding the rapture. I personally believe that the Bible clearly teaches a pre-tribulation rapture timing. The seven-year tribulation, and that's also known as the time of Jacob's trouble, and we find that term uh, in Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Uh, it's also called the time of Jacob's distress, and it's talking about Israel uh, being very, very distressed during the tribulation. And then we also have a clear reference in the book of Daniel, uh, also in the Old Testament, uh, found right in there with the book of Jeremiah. And it talks about the 70th week of Daniel, which is an event that has yet to still take place. And it's a, it's a period of seven years, and that's found in Daniel 9, verse 27. And these precede the second coming of Christ to the earth in which he's going to judge the world, and then right after he finishes judging the world, he will set up his uh, millennial kingdom, and millennium is a thousand year. He will set up his thousand year kingdom here on the earth. So as of today, you can just pick any day we have here, the next event on the prophetic biblical calendar that the whole world will witness involves the events at the beginning of that tribulation. The tribulation begins, according to the Bible, according to Daniel, for instance, Daniel 9, 27, begins with the Antichrist confirming a covenant with the nation of Israel. And let's, uh, let's go to 2 Thessalonians to talk about that because it gives us a clear picture, I believe, of what the Antichrist uh, does and what... Uh, constrains when he does it. And the key thing is when he does it. So if you could go in your Bibles to um, 2 Thessalonians, if you find your uh, First and Second Corinthians, and then you get into the, the four short books of uh, Galatians, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossians, and then you get into the Thessalonians. So go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we want to look at verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7. And starting at verse 4, it says, Who opposes and exalts himself, talking about the Antichrist, above every so-called God, lowercase g, God, or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And stepping out for just a moment, that's when the Antichrist goes into the temple that's been built in Jerusalem <clears throat> by the Jews during the tribulation period. And that, that temple is built in unbelief because the Jews <clears throat> do not accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Lord and Savior. So the Spirit of God is not in that temple. Not only is the Spirit of God not in that temple, but now the Jews allow the Antichrist to go into the temple. And 
once he's in the temple, he claims himself, he proclaims himself to be God. Let's go back into the scripture here, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him, what restrains the Antichrist now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So there's a restraining influence, and we know the restraining influence to be the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And we also know that the Holy Spirit resides uh, permanently forever within the church. So given all of those truths of the Bible, it says that when the restrainer, which you can say is the Holy Spirit, you can also say is the church, is taken out of the way, that is, at the rapture, then we have verse 8. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Verse 9, that is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. So we're told here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in these few short verses, that the Antichrist will come and he will have the power of Satan, but he's not allowed to come. He will not be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. And of course, we learn that the Antichrist uh, is revealed at the beginning because he's the one who uh, confirms the covenant with Israel, as we learned in, in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 9, um, there at the end of his prophecy in verse 27. So we see from those scriptures that the tribulation starts with the signing of the covenant, the conf confirmation of the covenant between the Antichrist and Israel, but the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church is taken out of the way. So we're basically talking about a church doctrine that is called the doctrine of imminence, the doctrine of imminence. The rapture could happen at any moment. There are no signs before the rapture of the church. Therefore, the, the admonition that we have to be ready and to encourage and to comfort one another is true because that's the next event. To be about the Lord's work until he comes for his bride, the church. So that will happen before the tribulation begins. So to answer that question, can we know the timing of the rapture? No but we can see the, the signs uh, and the seasons, and it's telling us that it's getting very close to the time uh, that the world will go to a one-world government, and therefore we will be out of here before that happens. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.